When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Time for the panel. Aidan McLaughlin joins us out of the Hawks Bay. G'day, Aidan. How are you? Very good, Ricardo. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. And also from RNZ, Ben Strang. How are you, Ben? Yeah, good. Good. Thank you. It's a story. Uh, gentlemen, it's all. It's Warren Ball or Baz Ball. Where do you want to start, Aidan? <laughs> oh, I reckon Bazball. I think that would be a little bit more exciting, I reckon. Yeah, yeah well, England, seven wins from eight tests under Brendan McCullum. Uh, ben Stokes has vowed to draw more fans to test cricket regardless of the results by playing exciting brand of cricket. I mean, what have you made of this? He's though Three of those tests were against the Black Caps. Of course, he's beaten India as well. Now, Pakistan and Pakistan, I mean, it's not to be sniffed at. I mean, short of the ashes, I don't think he could have done any better, could he, Aiden? No, I don't think he could. And uh, the the great thing is, well, I'm not sure if it's great for New Zealand, but the great thing is for um, for cricket fans in this country is that they've got two tests here early next year. So mm. it wouldn't surprise me at all if if ticket sales have ramped up a bit this morning for uh, I think it's Wellington and um, Bay Oval. So uh, yeah, that that'll be interesting come February time. But yeah, what what a five days it's been, and it seems a long time since England were actually worried they might even not be able to get a team out onto the field. So um, scored 506 runs on the first day, uh, most ever. 174 in the first session, most ever. <laughs> I think four players made centuries on day one, and uh, they only got 75 overs in. And from there, it's just been a quite amazing uh, display of attacking, attacking intent. And if you ever wanted to see a team win because of their attacking intent, it was England last night. And it was actually pretty riveting. I watched the whole the whole evening session and um yeah it was it was actually really good to see them get the job done yeah well, it was it was entertaining cricket to to watch uh ben it sort of certainly puts a bit of uh, a microscope on how the black caps are going to go up there in uh, in about a month's time doesn't it yeah that's what i was i was thinking actually is the the mindset change that england have gone through under brendan mccollum has been massive they were you know, very clearly bogged down by this traditional test cricketing mindset that they had. Their batters looked like they were walking wickets for a while there before McCullum turned up, which was fun to watch. But um, th- those same batsmen, they've still got flaws in their game, but McCullum and Stokes have just got them batting, at looking for scoring opportunities, looking to use their strengths. And th- I can say that from experience playing, you know, rep cricket, when, when a coach frees you up to do what you do well, the mindset change can just make such a big difference to your game. And and that's clearly happening for them. And yeah, it does sort of put a microscope on on the New Zealand team because we probably haven't, you know, we, we had such a fantastic run, 2019-2020, uh, the World Chess Championship win. And you just wonder of late whether um, the, the mindset does need a little reset for some of the players. Maybe, maybe that would help things uh, because it hasn't been as exciting as it was.
No, it hasn't been, and it's not just been in the test arena either. I mean, I, it feels like while the Indian series uh, for the ODIs here, you know, I mean, the one game that we had completed was great. Uh, we looked con- we looked conservative in our approach to T Twenty as well, and I think T Twenty potentially, and I've said this before, has moved past both Gary Stead and Kane Williamson, Aiden. Yeah, I mean, out of the three formats at the moment, you'd have to say that ODI is certainly the one that seems to fit the black caps the best. Um, it just gives them that ability to be relatively conservative early on, but then they've still got time to kind of accelerate through, as we saw with Tom Latham in particular. Um, but yeah, the other two formats, they do seem to suffer a bit with just that little bit of conservatism. I think you know, when New Zealand went to England back in June, um, they did have opportunities to win all three tests. But ultimately, England chased down the scores in all three tests because they had that, that attacking intent, that lack of fear. Um, and I just think, yeah, that it is, as Ben said, it, you know, it is really just they've been freed up to do that. And perhaps the, the New Zealand players at the moment, they probably just haven't got that freedom of expression that... Um, Consciously or subconsciously, but it's 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 not the same thing at all. No, I mean Ben, I, I saw somebody, um, I, I, and I can't remember who it was, so I apologise to them because uh, I thought it was an interesting point they made. Is that you know, is Brendan McCullum more attacking as a coach than he was as a captain? Because there was somebody who questioned whether or not some of the decisions England have made and the approaches they've made wouldn't have happened under McCullum if, McCullum if he was the captain. Ah, possibly, but um, if we go back to when he was the captain, especially those last couple of years, he was play- making some pretty drastic and aggressive decisions, particularly with his own batting when he came out and you know was belting hundreds in one session on a on a green top in Christchurch. You know things like that. Uh, it seems to be what England are now going to try to do with some of their players. He's just freeing up the batsmen. I think the the major difference between them and and New Zealand is that it's easy. Easy enough, I guess, to free up batsmen to to bat with, um, you know, intent and bat positively. It's another thing to set your bowling attack up to succeed, and they have an exceptional bowling attack. What worries me with the Black Caps at the moment is that I don't see who is coming through to to put pressure on the likes of Tim Southey uh, and Co for their places. I don't see who these young bowlers are coming through. So Bolton Southey coming towards the end of their career, uh, that that really concerns me. Mm, yeah, it's a good point, actually. It's a really good point. I mean, in terms of swing bowlers, Aidan, uh, we've got lots of guys with heaps of pace, but not too many that are swinging the ball and you know, hooping the ball around. No, that's right. You could probably group five or six names together, couldn't you, and pick any any of them out and just say, OK, well, they can they can do a job. But, yeah, they're, they're not quite at that level of, Bolton Southie and um, I think that uh, you know that that's it would be interesting to see if Cole Jameson can come back mm. uh, obviously he's been a bit quiet this year um, but uh, he had that great start to test cricket hopefully he can hit those heights again and hit them pretty quickly when he's back in the team. Uh, gentlemen let's talk a little bit of FIFA World Cup we'll get to Warren Ball after the news but uh, Dominic Levakovic the Croatian goalkeeper man of the match in that uh, he Saved three penalties in the penalty shootout against the Japanese, and that Croatian team looked pretty solid. I think probably the best midfield at the World Cup so far, Ben. Yeah, possibly. Uh, the English midfield could be pretty handy as well, I guess, the way mm. Jude Bellingham was playing. But uh, but Croatia, yeah, uh, that they, they they do they're doing what they did sort of last time, aren't they? They I mean they've they've really ground out this victory on penalties. Uh, 
now they'll come up against Brazil and as good as Brazil have been in, in stretches, you do wonder if Croatia are the type of team that can stifle them and and progress to a, a second straight semi-final. They, they just have so much quality in the middle of the park. I'll be very, very interested to see how that game goes. I, I was hoping Japan or South Korea could spring in an upset today. I would love to see one of them progress deep uh, a la tw- uh, 2002 when, when they were hosting, but... Uh, but, you know, it doesn't look like any of these upset sort of stories are necessarily going to happen going into the latter stages of the World Cup. No, it doesn't look that way, uh, does it, Aiden? And Brazil today were just imperious. I mean, they uh, they took a whole bunch of players off, I think, with about 20, 25 minutes to go, including Neymar and Richarlison, but 4-0 up at half time, and then just managed the game out in the second half. Yeah, and that's the type of performance that the neutral uh, just loves to see, isn't it? And we all hope to see it from Brazil tournament in, tournament out. So um, it's nice when they actually do produce it uh, and we do see that that dominant performance um, because, yeah, there's some, some great attacking teams in world football, but uh, Brazil romantically and uh, at the moment, you know, they're always great to watch. And um, But I think it is going to be a tantalising quarterfinal. I think up against Croatia... Um, I don't know. I th- it wouldn't surprise me if that goes to extra time and penalties as well. I think Croatia are looking good. Uh, it's a tough quarterfinal draw for them, but hey, there's no easy quarterfinals at the moment. So um, if Brazil can somehow unlock the door early uh, and, and get that gold lead, it could be quite difficult difficult for Croatia but I can see I can see it going all the way to be honest. I do fear for uh, Neymar's injured ankle in that game. <laughs> I feel for any injury that man gets, it's just, you know, he, he seems to suffer pain more than anyone else has seen. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, Ben, after the uh, after the first game of the World Cup. I mean, he set out the two group games because of an injury uh, against the Serbs, and it was just black and blue. How he came back and played this game, I'm not sure. Yeah, I did see it was it was absolutely massive, wasn't it? It was um, it was like a pregnant woman's ankle, I think. It, it was uh, huge. But, yeah, it's... Uh, I find it tough to watch Neymar because he can be just so fantastic with the ball at his feet and then he just rolls around like, you know, a crying baby. So it's very, very difficult to watch. I'm just hoping tomorrow that we see Ronaldo knocked out, to be honest with you. Uh, That guy has just gone off the rails since uh, things haven't been going his way. It's kind of an example of of an ageing footballer not doing so with uh, that much grace, which is a bit of a shame. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Aidan McLaughlin and Ben Strang from RNZ with us. And uh, Ben, we heard the news uh, late last night that Warren Gatlin was going to replace Wayne Pivak as the Welsh coach. Uh, probably the most uh, predictable storyline this year in international rugby, do you think? Well, yeah, certainly Wayne Pivak being uh, being dismissed was very predictable. He's been under pressure for a long time. You can't, you can't take a team like Wales and win three out of 12 games in a season really expect to keep your job I don't think uh whether Warren Gatland is the answer I'm I'm not 100% sure I, I realize he's their most successful coach of all time you know he coached the four six nations titles two grand slams um uh, but is he still uh what he was uh, yeah I, I guess time will tell but I think Wales really needed a refresh rather than a rewind back to Gatland 
Mm, yeah, it's an interesting point that uh, Aiden. I, I had uh, Andy Howell, a Welsh rugby journalist, on earlier, and I'd been talking to Paul Williams, another, and they are both fizzing that they've got Gatlin back. They uh, they it, it was even less about getting rid of Pivac, but just more so stoked that they had Warren Ball back. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, as Ben outlined, he's had so much success with Wales, um, but you, I personally felt that. 2019 had just come to its natural end, um, you know, after 11, 12 years, whatever it was. Um, and sometimes they say you should never go back. Uh, so I think he'll bring stability. Uh, he'll be a, He's someone that can go in and he can make a difference quickly. I think he'll make them harder to beat. Whether that can translate into, you know, um, making an attractive brand of rugby that's going to win the World Cup, I very much doubt in the, in the time period he's got and with the the cattle he's got but um, yeah I think he'll firm things up uh, it's interesting I think that um, as well as true to this World Cup uh, he's got an option for another four years which I was a little bit surprised at because you know the impression I got a few years ago when he, he came back to New Zealand that hey he was back in New Zealand to stay apart from doing the Lions obviously which was already agreed but um, yeah I'm a bit surprised that he's actually potentially going to commit for another four years after that I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait and see but yeah, it's. Um, I think it was the safe choice that you know Pivac had to go really uh, with that record, and if they're looking around, go back to what you know. Mm. It's interesting. I talked to Martin Gillingham, uh, English rugby commentator Ben, last week, and he wasn't convinced that Steve Borthwick is the answer to replace Eddie Jones. Um, and as I mentioned, Andy Howell was on this morning earlier, and he said that the option thing, he thinks, goes more in Gatlin's favour than in Welsh rugby's favour, because he says if he if he turns this around in a year and they have a decent World Cup, uh, then potentially England might still be looking for a coach, and he has been linked there before. Yeah, I guess you could you could certainly see that. I, I, I would agree with that on, on Gatland. I mean, he's got... You know, what nine months until the World Cup, so it's not a huge amount of time to turn it around. And if it doesn't work out, uh, he's not going to necessarily face the blame. He hasn't had this whole World Cup cycle to try to turn them around, so it's it's probably fairly risk free and fairly financially lucrative for him. So I don't uh, blame him for that. And if it is a massive success, absolutely, he could uh, he could see another job come along, or uh, maybe that four years will be quite. Uh, extra four years will be quite fruitful for him. I'm I'm very interested in what happens with this whole Eddie Jones saga. Obviously, it looks like he's gonna um, be be rid of his England job fairly soon. Uh, whether we see Borthwick or whether we see Scott Robertson actually get a chance, who knows? Um, I, I absolutely would love to see Robertson get a shot with that England team. I I, I I'm sort of fearful of how good they could be, but uh, but it'd be fascinating to watch. Well, that's the thing. I mean, everybody's saying, you know, Borthwick is a, a dinosaur. He's even more boring than, than Warren Ball. Uh, it'll be very traditional 10-man rugby. Uh, that was Gillingham's point. He said it's a step backwards. So it will be interesting. Uh, maybe this is a, an opportunity for New Zealand rugby to tie things up because I don't know if you saw it, but Warren Gatlin spoke this morning to the media and he said there's one person in New Zealand who's been incredibly successful in Razor. He deserves an opportunity. He's the one standout. They should be doing all they can to keep him, Aiden. Yeah, and I was a bit surprised he came out so strongly, to be honest. I guess he's, you know, he's leaving these shores. He's uh, come to an agreement with New Zealand rugby, so he can say what he wants now. But um, I thought it was interesting that uh, it's almost as if um, Foster is 
not even going to get an opportunity, you know, whether he wins the World Cup or not, uh, not even going to get an opportunity to reapply for that job. That's the way it's feeling to me at the moment. Just the, the things that are coming out of New Zealand rugby, yes, they're not uh, definitive by any means and they've got to, you know, be careful what they say. But you just get the feeling that this time it's going to be different to 2019 and they're going to be a bit more decisive and crucially they're going to be decisive earlier. So I think that uh, when someone like Gatlin comes out and says it, and he probably represents a lot of people in New Zealand, if not the majority of rugby fans. Yeah, I think it's 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 time that uh, things are going to change for New Zealand rugby, and we'll, we'll probably get that Robertson appointment, hopefully. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one, isn't it, Ben? Because I think um, at the end of the last World Cup, we were in a situation where anybody who was an option to take over as All Blacks coach other than Ian Foster already had another job. So is this a case of New Zealand rugby have actually learnt the lesson? Uh, possibly. I Just from a personal perspective, if, if I'm Scott Robertson, I'm wondering what loyalty I should have to New Zealand rugby, mm. the way that things have panned out over the past few years. The fact that, you know, there's reports that he was called into a meeting and told, OK, who's your coaching team for the All Blacks? You'll be taking over. And then a week later, oh, actually, sorry, mate, you're not going to be taking over, but we're going to take some of your coaching stuff. Um, why would I stick around i understand it's a, a dream to coach the all blacks and and yes the opportunity may be coming up but also what does he think of the plane stock at the moment because as poor as ian foster may have been the plane num- the plane stock isn't the same as it was uh 10 years ago for instance we don't have you know five to ten world class players on the pitch we've got maybe one in Adi Savia. so uh does he see an opportunity further down the track being better for him, uh, that, that those are the things that I'd be thinking about if I was Scott Robertson. Mm. Yeah, I guess if, if the mail is correct that Steve Borthwick takes over, it's just where else does he go? Uh, mm. I mean, there's been a little bit of talk that maybe the Wallabies are a chance, but I mean, geez, if you want to talk about working with limited cattle, uh, he's far <laughs> better here than he is there, isn't he, Aiden? Yeah, for me, I think Razor, it's England or the All Blacks. Um, I just I think he'll have watched Dave Rennie's experience over the last four years, and Dave Rennie's a hell of a coach, and um, he's not been able to get them firing as much as he would have liked. So uh, Robertson will be cagey enough to to realise that yes, he might get a, a, an offer from Rugby Australia, and they might make it very attractive for him, but but potentially it's four years in the nicest possible way, four years wasted when he could be in a more uh, promising situation with England and their players. Paul or the All Blacks. Mm, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I'm uh, going to keep an eye on this one. It's going to rumble on a bit longer. Hey, gentlemen, before we go, we should talk sevens. Uh, New Zealand dropped from the sevens World Series. Kind of felt inevitable. Uh, Wellington, you know, sort of eventually fell off a cliff. They took it to Hamilton. That didn't really work either. I mean, outside of taking it to Auckland, I don't know what else they could have done, Ben. No, no, exactly. And the way World Rugby... Uh, taking things with the Sevens World Series. It, it feels a little bit like Formula One's approach. Um, they're they're going to be taking it to glitzy locations, like, you know, obviously Dubai and Hong Kong are already on the circuit, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we see Las Vegas return or, uh, heck, Miami or, you know, Rio, um, Cape Town. You know, these sorts of locations appear to be the ones that they want to go to. And I understand why as well. Um, the money's there. They're wanting to grow the game using sevens. It's an Olympic sport. Um, and the other thing, of course, is this is actually a really, really good thing for women's rugby, the fact that they'll be lining up at every single tournament as well. So 
completely understandable from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you line it up, it, it does make sense. I mean, Las Vegas, Cape Town, Rio, Hamilton, doesn't quite fit, does it, Aidan? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Uh, Hamilton, Scotland or Hamilton, New Zealand doesn't really work either way, I don't think. But I think it's, it's refreshing, though. You know, less is more sometimes. And the fact that they're going from 11 events to seven shows that they, they value the product, but they don't want to oversell it. And if they if they just consolidate and they can sell a tournament that has men's and women's tournaments, because it was getting confusing for a while, wasn't it? You know, there's a sevens tournament coming up, there's no women involved, or there is this week, or there isn't next week. So it all got a bit confusing. But yeah, I think if they can really, World Rugby can really um, nail this format, um, then I think it's a good thing for sevens, because with it being an Olympic sport, it really is a brand, unfortunately it is a brand, that um, they can sell and make really popular and see grow. And uh, finally, uh, Kurt Baker calling it a day. Uh, where does he sit for you, Ben? In the the pantheon of sevens greats, the Eric Rushes and things, is he is he there or thereabouts? I don't think he's quite at that level. You know, I, I think of DJ Forbes, Eric Rush, um, those sorts of guys as being the the true greats. But he'd be one step down. He's um, he's been a fantastic servant for the New Zealand sevens team. He has probably been a little underrated uh, in his ability. He's been sort of the glue for that team for a very long time. He, he is uh, generally mistake-free when he's playing. He's helped the whole team click. And obviously he's had the chance to tickle the back of quite a few nicks in those celebratory <laughs> photos. Um, so, no, he's he's been a fantastic player and it will be a shame to, to see him uh, hanging up his boots. Yeah, it'll be a few teammates to be pleased not to have the back of their necks tickled. Uh, Aidan, uh, how about you for Kurt Baker? Yeah, I agree with Ben. Uh, I think the the other interesting thing about his career today, and I think he's only retired from sevens international uh, rugby, but um, he's played 70 provincial games for the likes of Manawatu, Taranaki, and he won a ran fairly shield with Hawks Bay a couple of years ago um, when he had that uh, another iconic photo opportunity with the shield in hand. Um, and he also played seven matches for the Maori All Blacks. So, uh, yeah, a, a, an excellent career over you know the last 14, 15 years. And, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he plays a bit more provincial rugby for the next few years. Yeah, or maybe he just takes the full Monty on the road. Who knows? Gentlemen, thanks very much for your time on the panel today. Uh, really appreciate it. Go well.